Hey everybody, and welcome back to another Pink Bike Podcast. So last week, we talked about the field test for about 20 minutes too long, and then at the end of the show, I admitted I had no idea what we were going to talk about this week, which is kind of silly because there was a little huck to flat video that went live. I took a scroll through those comments, and I realized that a lot of you are breaking carbon cranks. Now, there's probably some vocal minority and all that out there, sure, but also... It almost looks like if you haven't personally broken a set of carbon cranks, you probably know somebody who has, which is kind of crazy. So today, we're going to talk about carbon components, where they make sense, where they might not make sense, risk versus reward, expectations, and we'll probably talk about all the carbon things we've broken over the years. But, of course... Metal things break all the time for all sorts of good and bad reasons as well. So before we get into all the carbon fiber bashing, I just want to remind ourselves that everything can break. Everything probably will break at some point. So to do that, other Mike is here as well. I keep inviting him back. Casimir, can you remember the first proper mountain bike component that you broke way back in the day? Did you ever like, did you ever break like a... 600 millimeter wide aluminum handlebar or bend like a 19 millimeter wide Mavic rim or something? Definitely. Yeah. My first, my very first mountain bike, I bent the frame so bad that the rear wheel kept coming out when I'd be racing, like the dropouts bent somehow. So I'd have to stop during the race, (laughs) undo the quick release and basically stomp on the back of the bike to hold it all together and then keep racing. So it didn't help my results. I don't think. Was that a steel? That was a steel hardtail or something? Yeah. Steel like Diamondback Topanga SE back in like 90. 495 ish yeah so that was the first yeah. thing that's pretty did, did you use that giant park leverage tool to bend it straight or did you just throw it in the alley and walk away i just kept riding it <laughs> like and then i just got a new bike yeah i don't know what happened to it <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> yeah yeah what is the most recent carbon fiber thing you've broken kaz mm, let's see most recent it's been a little while like probably some wheels when was it would have been a cracked carbon. I remember you rim. casing a big step down? Mm-hmm. Yeah, broken a while that was ago, like a couple a while years ago. ago. Yeah, yeah. So I cracked wheels then, but nothing catastrophic in the last couple of years, which is good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. the last thing All I right. broke, it would have been a carbon rim, like yeah, three years ago or so. I'd say four years. Yeah, that's the last thing you broke. Smooth operator, everybody. Cat I am pretty smooth. smooth. Yeah, I don't really like. You know, I, I get flat tires and stuff, but otherwise, I don't tend to like totally destroy things yeah yeah just, i would agree you, you actually are very smooth Kaz. yeah that's i try to not be a smash i mean there are people that have a super smashy <laughs> riding style and that's not me i try to pick the smoothest way but well speaking of those people my other guest he eats something called crisps he drinks plain tea just imagine how boring that would be and he loves convoluted cable routing but he did win me over with his simpsons references last episode so i thought i'd have him back just one more time henry quinney what is the last thing you broke on a bike or not? It's good to see you give an old gill another chance. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> the last thing I broke actually was trying to get a bolt out of a bike and the bolt didn't even round, but the whole Allen key completely, completely twisted. Like it's my five mil is now toast. That was, that was the rearward shock bolt on the Norco range, wasn't it? It may well have been, yeah. I mean, yes. <laughs> it's something that we've kind of only found out recently because it's actually happened to my friend as well that he's had the exact same problem with that bolt that he he cannot loosen it. So um, you just hope you pack a lot of grease in there from the factory and then yeah. she's good for a lifetime. And um, yeah. <laughs> can, can you just give us just a quick brief breakdown on how you got that bolt down, bolt out? Just tell me in like five sentences here. Uh, five sentences. I... Drilled it from every angle. I had a small fit of rage. I listened to some Enya to calm down. I went to Michael Levy's house and begged and pleaded. And then I got a hacksaw, which I could just just get between the shock. You, basically you took the, shock the blade yoke, off. Took the blade off. And I sat there with just a blade without the hacksaw for a good long while. <laughs> a good long while. And just... And eventually it went ping and it fired yep. at the end and it was great. I've played that game before. Yeah. Something's that's how you going know on you're there. In deep. Yeah. When you just have the saw for the, the blade for the saw, you know, you're in deep. Like, all right, we're doing this. It was like, yeah. it was like yeah. a really shitty budget Edward Scissorhands where he's just got like a couple of hacksaw <laughs> blades that are quite blunt. Yeah. 
So the last thing, the last thing that I broke, it was actually a shoe. I had a set of Bonchiger Rally shoes that I love, super comfortable, but I actually pulled the cleat plate through the sole, which was too much it's power, a, Michael. Too many ponies. Too much. Too much. I gotta monster. quit That's doing happens, all those man. squats. <laughs> too, much, too much getting off and right. walk, walking down the steeps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> As you guys just heard, I also have Brian Park here, who's going to help us argue about carbon fiber today. Brian, let's keep it serious. Does the Hawk to Flat video have you questioning the carbon fiber cranks on your bike? I don't have any carbon fiber cranks on my bike. I'm trying to think if I ever have. Oh. Not for well, not for a long time, but for for that reason, I when I was BMX racing as a as a kid, uh, this guy showed up at the BMX track with the fanciest new aluminum cranks. And it's super, super lightweight aluminum cranks. And he cased a jump. The crank sheared lengthways. And the spear point of the crank went through his calf. And um, yeah, I don't... Uh, cranks aren't a place to save did he, tons of weight. Did he die from carbon fiber poisoning? No, it was, it was aluminum. Cranks. I'm just... It just... I, oh, it was I aluminum. Just, you said, yeah, yeah, but I just, I just don't... I don't like to... S- Light cranks are nice, but not... It's not the place to save 30 grams as soon as i hear anything about broken cranks i just assume they're made of carbon fiber (laughs) wow (laughs) (laughs) maybe we should maybe talk about our poll here for a second before we get Mm -hmm. into the news so uh, i ran a poll on the main page basically asking you guys who has had trouble with carbon fiber cranks we had almost fourteen thousand responses thirteen thousand nine hundred and seventy so of those 5,307 have run carbon cranks without any issues. Uh, So that is of 7,311 riders. So, but the interesting number here, 17% of those have broken one carbon crank, 1,287 people. Uh, If we go to the aluminum cranks, 7% have broken aluminum cranks. Interesting number, Brian. So the sample size on aluminum would be a lot bigger, right? Yeah, yeah, it's bigger. Yeah. So there's way more aluminum cranks out there, no doubt about that. Um, my poll of failure, right? I mean, is this because sometimes people mash the mash the threads? I don't know if that some. No, that doesn't count. Well, I, that's I don't, user error. I know it doesn't count, but if you ever worked in a bike shop and someone's gone, I just got this brand new bike and uh, <laughs> weird, both both cranks are threaded. I didn't do it, you know, people <laughs> yeah. people don't cop to that. And you're there like, that is strange. Yeah, you do know about the opposite threads? What? Oh, oh yeah, I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> My pedal just keeps falling off. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. Wait a sec, I... there's no, there's no, it's not. So 72% of people who run carbon cranks run them without issue. And mm-hmm. 74% of people who run aluminum cranks run them without issue. That's not a huge difference. That's not a huge difference, but there are way more aluminum cranks out there, of course. Tell it right, to but, but Jason Lucas's ankle. Yeah. That two percent man, like that's not gonna that's not gonna console him. Oh by the way, just so you know You're a statistical anomaly. <laughs> <laughs> I also would like to point out the two point five percent of responses, hundred and eighty eight people who have broken four or more carbon cranks, it's time to give up. Move on. I just yeah. never knew Aaron Why? Gwynn was on Pink Bike yeah. reading our articles. <laughs> it's amazing. Okay, so right, so more aluminum or sorry, more carbon cranks are breaking, but yeah. they're right. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Are you guys surprised by those numbers at all, or do they kind of make sense? Is what you'd expect. Now that I've thought about it, it makes sense because the people who aren't going to break cranks aren't going to break cranks, and then the people who are going to break cranks switch from carbon to aluminum after a couple of carbon failures. Almost 18 people. Let's just call it 18 people out of 100 people who use carbon cranks break them. Is Does that sound crazy? 18 out of 100. You have an 18% chance-ish, maybe, of breaking your carbon crank? Is that I'm the right sure way to put it? Probably not. I'm not sure that's true. <laughs> no, no, it's I not. I think 18% of people have, at some point, broken carbon cranks. But that's what saying. What percent of people have a drink of alcohol in their life or how many people have drunk alcohol today? It's a very different. Yeah. 
If well, either way, a lot of people I mean, are breaking carbon cranks. Sh- it's I ridiculous. I stopped going to school at 16, so don't statistics <laughs> statistic oh, is not yeah. you're not speaking to them i'm gonna back out i'm, gonna I'm not sure if you is your statistician either though <laughs> yeah i i stopped paying attention long before that so cats <laughs> let's go to the news okay we can do some news we'll come back to these uh very scientific st- statistics that we've got all right well first up in the news this week we've got a brand new rocky mountain element uh, henry quinney's been spending some time on it so the video and a first look on the homepage now and the new bike, basically the old version used to be more of an XC race bike. This one's kind of moved into that downcountry category. It's got 120 millimeters of rear travel with 130 millimeter fork. And that puts the head angle at between 65 degrees to 65.8 degrees. Those are numbers that wouldn't have been out of place on a full-on enduro bike just a couple of years ago. So I'm a fan of the uh, the changes to geometry that bikes are undergoing, especially these shorter travel bikes. Other details of the new Rocky, besides looking really good, at least in my eyes, um, still holds two water bottles in the front triangle. And now that ride nine flip chip system that gave you nine different positions or slight geometry adjustments and uh, shock progression adjustments. It was a lot and no one ever so used many. that line. So now that's down to ride four. So yeah. So now we're at ride four, that's which good. is better than nine. Yeah. It's gone from eight too many to three too many. That is I, a good, exactly. that's a good out the park. Yeah. So for 2025, we'll be down Henry. to ride one and we set. Yeah. It's basically, it's like saying, oh, so by the way, guys, you know, you're you know you haven't got eight gunshot wounds in you anymore. Now merely three. What a result. Henry, I have lived with the previous Rocky Mountain elements, all of them, for uh, a long time. They they've been fast bikes. They've been mm-hmm. fast bikes. You know what they haven't been? Very forgiving. They're definitely like oh, between wow. the I think between the bushings for the pivots and the emphasis on pedaling efficiency, a lot of times I've felt they've been uh, great pedaling bikes, but definitely not the most forgiving. What is the story with this thing? It's got an extra 20 mils of travel in the back. You know, this thing is like, it's like a road legal track car. You can still hammer it, but riding it all dead, it's some big rides on it, and it is remarkably comfortable. Like, Hmm. very much so. You know, it's funny... RC last week talked about the golden hour, which you probably don't want to Google, but what he used to refer to is basically that first hour you get on a bike where everything's great and it's either good or it's bad. With this Rocky Mountain element, it was, you know, pissed down, raining, yet again, probably not not the right terminology for the golden hour, but either way, I had so much fun and this bike is just... In fact, for the lot of these bikes, because hopefully we'll have this in field test, we've got some other ones I've been getting a little ride in that hopefully we'll have in field test as well. And it feels, sounds lame, sounds cheesy, but it feels like kind of XC trail bikes that I've been waiting for. What was amazing is going between the Rocky and my transition is your actual position's quite similar. The wheels and the relation to your body weight move underneath you almost, but actually the, the seating position's very similar and it just feels amazing. Yeah, I think that's, it's such a nice trend that's happening. It makes it easy to switch between the two bikes, between a short travel and a long travel one. Having a similar cockpit feel and just a shorter travel gives it a different character, but... Yeah, I'm excited to get this one um, going for testing. I wonder if they're going to have an even more cross-country bike, or is this their full-on 120mm XC? This is the raciest race bike they're going to do if they're going to do a shorter travel, steeper version. It sounds it sounds to me like talking to them, they wanted to make a bike. Their, their XC is the BC bike race, right? Yeah. And that, that's what they've gone for. That's what they tried to execute. I'm not sure if they will be leaning on the shorter travel. Who knows? But it didn't sound like when I um, went riding with them. All right. Moving on from overgrown cross-country bikes, let's go to Tom Bradshaw, pink bike presenter. He raced Psychosis on his hardtail. And for those of you that don't know, Psychosis is a pretty crazy downhill race in Golden, BC. It starts with a basically a descent straight down the side of a mountain, like literally straight down the side of a mountain that's typically used for like, like paraglide launch or something. So Tom, being Tom, decided he should do it on his hardtail. Any of you guys ever ridden this course? Have you, Levy? No. No, you look I've like just seen it in the movies. Yeah, yeah. 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 I have PTSD, but not from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty It's pretty famous from being in the movies back in you know 2008 or so. There's mm. a decent-sized road gap in there, too, that he also did on his hardtail. So he did the whole course. Um, yeah, if you haven't checked it out, watch the video. It's impressive. Did you guys hear him breathing? He, you know, like the breathing through the eyeballs, the classic, like uncontrolled, like, <laughs> did you guys, there's a climb in the middle of the course. I'm just glad it wasn't me. Yeah. He no, it go, I mean, a lot of people, have, 
Yeah. And then they get to push during the race, which is common. Like even pros push that because you're racing straight down the hill, like as steep as possible and then go straight up. But yeah, Tom's a pretty sure wild man. Did, but yeah. next time, Tom, next, next year, time. next year we can all go out. We all get on hardtails. Then <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> just, just imagine that all the PB editors racing at psychosis on hardtails. That's think, not a bad. All right. Hear me out. We, what we want to have is the PB open, like the top 50 commenters. We rent like a accommodation. We invite all of them to whistle and we have a big bike race and we see who can like put their money where their mouth, mouth is. <laughs> I who, think that's season three. Who gets wildly overwhelmed. I think it'd be fantastic. Yeah. It would be great. Be and might have to make sure our insurance covers the, yeah, make sure the insurance covers some stuff that's going to happen. I reckon, there's be some carnage. I reckon there'll be some surprises, both good and bad. I think there'll be some people that are absolutely shredding and it's like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to take it from you now. <laughs> like I'll take the criticism. Yeah. It'd be a good way to like, even things out. We've been trying, we've been talking about that for years. It just never happened, but maybe, maybe one of these days. Um, yeah, well, moving on from psychosis, we go to Brett reader, Brett readers on crutches right before rampage rampage is just a few weeks away. He's supposed to leave a week from now, basically. But, um, so he's injured himself again. He's been coming off some other injuries before that, but basically he says, if he's able to walk, he'll compete in rampage, which that seems like a, uh, different mindset. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about that. I would want to be able Life to do more a than pro, walk. A pro rider. Yeah, I would hope Yeesh. I could do more than walk before hucking myself off a 60-foot cliff, but I couldn't huck myself off one even fully functional, so different. Are you guys are you guys excited to watch Rampage? Do you watch it live? Do you watch it afterwards? Because I know that some some people don't like to watch it live. I, I'm excited because I want to see Braga just do whatever he's going to do. Henry doesn't want to watch it. I just find that... I, just, I, don't, I, love, I love the Rampage where it's like... Like Andrew Lacuna guys run from a couple of years ago, absolutely wild and loose. But the slope style stuff, I just I see see it once and I just I switch off. I just become like hit saturation point. Like oh, he's done another spin. It just does nothing for me. Like absolutely nothing. No yeah. appreciation for the sport. I mean, no, I, I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing. But like once I sin, like when I used to work at races and everyone would be like, oh, do you want to go watch the slope style? I'd be like. Definitely gonna go ride my bike instead. Yeah, I like the more. I think it's amazing, but I mean, I definitely like the more techie lines at Rampage, the ones that combine it, like the super gnarly start and then some flippy spinny things and then some more gnarly stuff. But yeah, I like it every year. It's always cool. It's crazy how big people can go and make it look relatively safe for the size of the features. I think, I think the scariest, heaviest part isn't isn't Rampage. It's the night before when everybody hasn't hasn't hit their lines yet or hasn't done all the things that they want to do and they've been working up to it all week and now it's like put up or shut up time and if you're at the rampage site the night before that's where there's the most nerves and it's the most fucked up i just have a little side story so i've been down there a bunch and we've taken like shovels and rakes with us and you know made our little made our little lines years and years ago and then we'd plan to ride them the next day or like later that afternoon or whatever and it's a it's a scary feeling. I mean, we've all built stuff and then been scared to hit it and, and built up to it and made it. But like when you're way up there on the top of one of those mesas or near the top of one of those mesas and you know what you need to do to get to the bottom and you could see your tiny little truck and your tiny little friend way down at the bottom, it's it's definitely the most intimidated I've ever been in my life on a bike, I think. Yeah, and I think this year's a new venue too, right? I believe they've moved to a different side of the hill. No. So I think so it'll be... I don't no. know if this has been announced yet, but no, no, I, it was supposed to be a new venue. I don't think it is. That's what I heard. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Well, hopefully they yeah, figure that out. Some, either way, it's coming issues. up, but hopefully reader can do some magic healing and be able to walk before a rampage. Uh, well, let's wrap up the news mm -hmm. with a, a little EXT fork review from Matt Beer. That EXT fork, I first put some miles in on that almost a year ago now, but we kind of passed it around. We just wanted to get a bunch of long-term impressions because it is a the first fork from ext so i wrote it brian wrote it and then matt kind of finished off the review and so that's out now um, matt liked how active and tunable it was he did have some little top out noise issues it sounds like ext is working on that it's kind of a um, installing a different bumper to quiet it down overall he had positive impressions that it fairly matched what i found even his final pressures and things were pretty close to what i had so it's kind of interesting to see that our setups ended up being pretty much the same we're about the same weight too so that makes sense about the same speed on the trail like has no matt's faster than me you and matt yeah okay. he's faster than me yes <laughs> hey i i have i have questions because this thing is almost twenty two hundred dollars american when i do the conversion so kaz you've ridden this thing you've ridden a nice 36 or a nice lyric ultimate or whatever 
would you spend the money on like is the extra performance worth what is it 800 900 extra something like that i mean it's just money right like for me i'm told like yeah. I, am, I am totally happy with a lyric or a zeb or a 38 or any of those but this one does like i like the feel the grip that it provides and wet and slippery mm-hmm. conditions i like that little um initial spring yeah sensation of it so for some people it will be worth the money and i do think that the the feel is different enough it's something different than the mainstream options yeah i guess my question is like what is the difference more so like is there a noticeable difference and what is the advantage and i could i guess you summed it up right there it's it is more active and you feel like it provides you more traction when it's when traction is low maybe Mm -hmm. yeah exactly i think i think in matt's review he said something about sometimes it feels like the fork's not there like it's just so invisible like sucking the ground up so it, it does some cool stuff i don't think this is a product where like comparatively a thousand dollar fork is stupid expensive too there's always a reason to to roll your eyes at a price uh, at performance this level so to me more the question is how did a tiny little italian fork manufacturer make a product this good out of the gate and it's not about is it worth it or not worth it it's how much better is it period like that's what blows my mind i mean it's not better it's a two thousand dollar fork it costs almost twice as much and makes top out noises it's definitely better it's definitely better it's definitely a better fork it's better but it's you know a bit of trivia for you i believe franco fratton the guy behind the xt he worked f1 right he was mecca hacking and suspension engineer yeah there's a williams team with alex and yeah this is an f1 podcast now everybody he, he did <laughs> no stuff with, with Sitchin, i think and the wrc so i think it's like i don't know i think it's a really cool fork I, i've always been very curious to try in anger i never have one of those those ext rear shocks they just look amazing you know you know what f1 is like people in the bike industry like saying f1 the same way they like saying uh aero what is aerospace? it the aerospace, aerospace industry yeah. Yeah. yes like yes. just stop it's different i don't care if you worked in f1 or the aerospace industry go I away noted i will never ever bring it up again mike i will never yeah, but you don't it. have to go away no I just no, think it's no, 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 no 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 don't worry about me just trying to make conversation <laughs> i don't hey, think bloody podcast it. heaven forbid i'll, I'll be quiet i'm using my microphone two thousand no more conversation out of me pop out noises and you guys are okay honestly henry contribute to the chat Henry, you know, say something friendly. Is that? <laughs> oh God, this is so much. What a fantastically banal contribution, Henry. Cheers, Mike. Jesus, wet. I, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give bonus points out to whoever can slide food grade stainless steel into a review somewhere. Oh, oh, I've got no, no, no. Okay, so Cane Creek with those new bearings, they're called like some ridiculous name, Hellbender or something. They're made from the same bearings that you use in like a literally like a sausage machine because there's no contamination for the from the grease to the food. So that one will be coming out next year, bike. Don't you fucking worry. <laughs> Sorry, language. <laughs> I'm but, yeah. in. Food <laughs> grade. Food grade stainless steel damper shaft. <laughs> mm-hmm. Coming soon. On the next EXT fork, three thousand dollars. It only tops out a little bit. Everybody, everything's fine. I'll be getting some bib shorts going, and the um and the bands are actually the same hair net net grade that you'd get from the lady that serves you your deli meats in the supermarket. <laughs> I was wondering where you're going with that. <laughs> hey, one more one more thing I think we should talk about is there's a new little banner at the top of the page, Brian. It popped up out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Can you tell me what's what what that's all about? No, no, I can't. It's it's the outside banner and uh it doesn't affect anything i'm what i'm i'm really surprised that there are people who felt so strongly about how pink bike used to look like i i did not think that the thing people were coming to pink bike for was our, you know our great graphic design and user interface but <laughs> guess so <laughs> yeah it's sort of the funny. boat everybody. there's also the whole yeah and now there's the whole like downvote anybody with the outside tag thing but like these are the same people that would lose their minds if they thought anything was being censored. But then if somebody has a little outside plus symbol, they just downvote them off the page. So I don't know. You're all, I think how much is so, silly out there? There's one guy called like he's called like the Terrapin Hunter or something like that. It's a really weird name. And he was like, I don't know why this is happening to me. <laughs> oh, <bless. laughs> Sorry, bud. <laughs> okay, let's move on to rider questions. This one is specifically for Henry. Henry. 
I'm not, maybe it was in a podcast. I don't know if it was in a podcast or video, but you said. Oh God. You had what three inch grip on a four inch turd. <laughs> so PB user Coombs wants to know what the heck you're meaning when you say that you have three inch grip on a four inch turd. You know, my riding style could be described in many ways. Stiff as a board, you know, crouching tiger, hidden spasm, many things. But um, th- <laughs> three inches of grip. I want you to imagine... What you're gripping the 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 specimen <laughs> with. And um yeah, basically there's a I'm just holding on up there. <laughs> you're just holding on for dear life, is that what yeah. you mean? Uh, yeah, just like keeping the turtle head from poking out, you know? Like keeping the yeah. T- t- yeah, I'm touching cloth, baby. <laughs> oh god. Okay. I didn't know that needed explanation. No, I got it. No, I, I did have it. to look up. I, I looked it. up Viz's yeah. Profanosaurus. I didn't know that was a thing. It looks like a British thing. It's amazing. Oh. Do you guys know what that is? Oh, wow. The what is that, guys? No, no idea. It's just kind of like the Urban Dictionary, but British. So it's all those like weird British words that Henry says in a whole one thing. So like we can get all all of the things he's saying. Oh, my God. My place. secrets. Yeah. <laughs> just me like, and all of include that in yeah, the article. The that day. way people can translate the mm-hmm. podcast. Je suis, I am a pot of jam too. Art thou a clot? Pardon me? Come again? <laughs> yes. Okay. Oui, oui. <laughs> our next our next comment, this is from Eckerd. This guy wants to know, he wants to talk about places to save a few bucks. So we're going to do an entire value or probably an entire value podcast series at some point real soon. But he says he's a frugal guy. He's always looking for alternative products that can be used instead of the usual pricey stuff he finds in the bike shop. So some of the examples he gives, automotive cleaners, greases, oils, he says they're way cheaper. He's also purchased a lot of tools and miscellaneous products through AliExpress. That's my favorite website. Stuff like rotors, master links, hydraulic hose fittings, things like that, for a fraction of the price that he would find them at the local bike shop. He also does admit to having some spectacular failures, Locaz. Uh, he points out he bought a carbon handlebar off AliExpress and a crank set that didn't hold up, so he's braver than me. Anyways, guys... We're going to do an entire podcast about this down the road, but Kaz, I want to start with you. What is one tip that you have for saving money with bike stuff? Yeah, I mean, well, buying used used to be a good option, but now everybody seems like they're price gouging with their used bikes. But I think just keeping in mind that you don't need the highest end, most fancy stuff. You know, it's easy to fall into that trap because you look at all our reviews of the fancy things and we just say good things about the fancy things, but you can go down a level or two or three levels and save a bunch of money. Like Shimano Dior, we keep talking about that over and over when it comes to value, but like that group, if you can find one somewhere, the Dior drivetrain group set is an amazing value and you can put it on any bike and be totally happy. So that's a good spot to save. Henry? Don't buy chamois. You can save hundreds of dollars a year. Ain't that right, Mike? <laughs> that's true. Yep. Also a good way to save money. <laughs> you know, free. The, the, the people, like the automotive industry has this little trick they need to justify high prices. And they say, in the bicycle industry, this cleaner, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think delete Instagram. You know, it's this, our job is to review new things and evaluate them. And that's good. And we should do that as bike media. But if you're the type of person who feels like you're missing out on tech just because there's a new thing, you know, when Grip 2 comes out, it doesn't make Grip, the original Grip, worse. Like they've, there's something newer and better but it's not i i think people let them get clouded with that uh, for example i bet there are people who today are bought an a rocky mountain element two weeks ago and are upset that there's a new one now and it's like the bike you bought two weeks ago isn't any worse so get rid of the thing if that's you get rid of the things that tempt you to upgrade all the time or feel worse about what you have oh and don't buy bike there are people probably yeah yeah, definitely don't do that. Yeah. There are probably people out there today, right now, who like just recently bought a brand new Factory 36 or Lyric Ultimate, and then they saw Matt Beer's EXT mm-hmm. fork review, and they're like, shit. My tip, though, would be, same as Eckerd said, honestly, like, don't buy cleaners from a bike shop. Like, go go to Lordco, buy your brake clean, buy your cheap cleaner, or your you can use household cleaners, that kind of stuff. Um, there's no reason to be buying a $30 bottle of cleaner, is there? 
Yeah. My, my tip would be don't buy that $60,000 vehicle that you have and buy a fancy bike and then stop buying these crazy vehicles. Like I had a buddy that was, he was broke. Like he kept complaining he had no money. And it turns out he's paying like $550 a month for his Tacoma car payment. It was like a $34,000 truck that he bought. And he's like, I have no money. Like, well, yeah, you like, so look at your whole financial situation first. Feel free to spend on mountain biking if it's your passion sport, but also you probably don't need the super fancy car. Or like if, or if you can justify buying a sixty thousand dollar car, you shouldn't be cheaping out on like carbon bars from AliExpress. He found a Tacoma for thirty something thousand dollars. That's like sixty thousand Canadian. Yeah, those things are like a hundred grand up here. Yeah, it was still expensive. Still, Tacoma's a hundred grand in the sea to sky, everybody. <laughs> you guys know my favorite way to not save a whole bunch of money, though. It's ridiculously light carbon fiber wheels that cost about a million bucks, but definitely do make a difference on the trail. So that sort of brings us to our carbon discussion, Kaz. And I think for this discussion, we just have to assume that we all have the money to buy all this stuff. I don't want to mm -hmm. be talking about whether this is like worth the money or not. We're going to talk about carbon stuff and whether they just make sense on the bike as far as reliability uh, and whether this stuff can kind of stand up to abuse. Mm -hmm. So, Casimir, I'm assuming you're going to have thousands of dollars in your rainy day account. Today is raining so hard. Are wheels a place where you would go out and spend extra money for carbon fiber? In some cases, yeah. It would just depend on the bike. I think for if I had a big smashy enduro bike, I don't think carbon wheels are necessarily the first place I would spend. But for like a lighter weight bike, it's a good way to save money and still retain stiffness. Like I've been testing those Revol control wheels and I know we're not talking about price, but they're not crazy expensive for carbon, but they've been holding up super well and they're relatively light. They kind of tick all the boxes for what you want for like a high-end wheel set. Um, so yeah, I think carbon does have a place on certain bikes, but like definitely not a downhill bike personally. Like I wouldn't run carbon wheels on a downhill bike just because of how oh, smashed man. up those get. Enduro bike. Should we talk about Thibaut Deprella? A good argument mm. for not running carbon is Thibaut Deprella. Yeah, he I felt <laughs> fairly spectacular felt so on the bad. live stream crash. What happened, Brian? Oh, he he probably got a flat smashing through rocks and then detonated a front wheel in 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 his race run in full view of the cameras. And, you know, having been on the marketing side, I felt incredibly bad for the Envy marketing people as they showed that crash over and over in slow motion of this wheel just exploding and yeah i don't i'm not smart enough to say whether downhill bikes should have should have carbon wheels or not or where it doesn't doesn't make sense but that's a that's a brutal one i think i think one thing to keep in mind about carbon wheels total is that it depends on your total system like of your bike if you have a bike that's a bit flexy um or has you know poor torsional stiffness it's not crazy to make up for that with a carbon wheel whereas on another bike that's plenty stiff and already you know weight isn't a huge issue on a bigger bike you might choose aluminum wheels i think there are probably there's two ways to really split this up i think with aluminum rims i find that i'm always fixing them i'm always pulling dents out i'm always chewing them the rims themselves are more flexible they give more um they take they require more maintenance Whereas a carbon rim seems to take a hell of a lot more abuse, usually, but not always, as we've seen, um, and they require zero maintenance. They could run trouble-free for years, but they also could just blow up in a massive explosion. Henry? Um, for the, can we ask a favor? I'm going to ask a favor. For the rest of this podcast, can we say alloy, not aluminum? Because otherwise I will be sick. I, I can't. Aluminum. Steel's an alloy, though. Yeah, but steel just, is an I know, alloy. Just, just please. Just They're made of aluminum say, alloy. Should we it's say aluminum? Al aluminum. Say, uh, makes my skin. What if we say aluminum? Cool. What if we all try and say aluminum for you? Aluminium is fine. Thank you. Yeah, no, that'd be okay. great. If everyone could just do what, what I need, that was fantastic. <laughs> Henry, what is your approach? You're a consumer. Let's pretend you're a consumer. What yeah. is your approach? Are you the person that is happy to be? looking after their aluminum wheels you got to true them you know once a month you got to pull what your kind dents of wheels? out what kind of aluminum wheels? <laughs> aluminum <laughs> you got to pull your dents out do that kind of stuff or instead of spending a thousand dollars on their aluminum wheels would you spend 3k on some carbon wheels and probably have them run trouble free for a long time but maybe not oh, that's a really hard because there's nothing you know with the carbon wheels obviously they can't catastrophically explode and your life will be over and it's going to ruin your day yada 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 but it's also so frustrating dinging an alloy rim 
in the, and you're bending it and knowing that if it had been carbon, it probably would have been absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. For me personally, I'm I'm an alloy wheel. If it was my own cash, I'd, I'd buy alloy wheels every day. The things that DT make, you know, get some four seven ones, and they're just going to mm-hmm. do pretty much anything you want to. No worries. And I think, um, you know, sometimes I think me and my preference a lot of the time. Like I've ridden some deep carbon wheels that are just horrible. The ride characteristic isn't very nice at all. And, um, and I just, it's just, I don't know why I'd want, oh, it's what I want. It's something that's going to rattle out all my fillings, make my eyeballs shake in their sockets. And it's 50 grams of lighter and only $3,000. But no, thank you. I've got a question for you guys about lifetime warranty. If I was a rider who was constantly destroying aluminum wheel sets, does it make sense for me to think about spending the money investing in a much more expensive carbon wheel set that includes a no questions asked lifetime warranty because then if i do break my carbon wheel my carbon wheel someone's the company's going to send me another rim maybe it's going to be free of charge maybe i can lace it up myself it seems like a, not a bad strategy brian well the the reason that those warranties are there is because there's a marketplace fear of failure for expensive things but then they just they just work it into the price Right, so it's six of one, half dozen of the other. I think if you can lace up your own rims, if you if you can build your own wheels, I'd rather have a cheaper wheel where you can replace the rim yourself. Um, but if you're not, if you just want trouble free, like buy it and set it and forget and get a new thing, then I can see the value in it. Yeah, okay. I'd, I'd say if like if someone came into a shop that I was working at and they'd been going through lots and lots of aluminum rims, I don't think carbon wheels are a bad idea mm-hmm. just to see if it does help their destruction issue you know if you're denting you're getting six flat spots in your aluminum rim every, every weekend it's not going to be long before those wheels are toast no matter how much straightening you do so i think carbon can be a, an option that can solve that problem for some people and also say that we talked about alum- carbon exploding in my experience it doesn't typically just fully explode like that t-boat crash obviously was a an extreme case where it fully blows apart but like the carbon wheels i've broken they've still stayed in a sort of a wheel-shaped shape like they're semi-round but just cracked so you know like they are done but they also still roll to usually get you out it just kind of depends but i think there is a fear of things just like fully explode but i don't think that's typically how the the failures happen yeah so before we move on from rims i just want to talk about the rims that we've broken kaz you said your last one was i think that was um a reserve wheel like maybe three years ago or something and you you cased a massive gap and like if it was an aluminum wheel it would have caved in correct yeah like if, if we want to go through all the carbon wheels i broke and i broke back in the day like kind of the original no, envy we don't have to do ones. all of them but yeah but i mean if you're yeah so yeah i've broken envies i've broken reserves i've broken bontrager i've broken some weird coal wheels back in the day that was very bad but um yeah so most of the wheels at some point i have broken them i guess so they, they all they can all break yeah. no one yeah. and yeah they can break, but I've also dented plenty of rims too in the past. But Henry, what's the last carbon wheel set you've broke? Uh, not for a couple of years, actually. Um, maybe two years, two or three years, and that was a giant one. Actually, just came like, on an OE build. I mean, it depends so much where it depends so much where you ride as well. Like in Portugal, I was every living every day like my last, and did two rim, two rims, alloy rims, admittedly, but. Um, Two rims, pretty much, probably within six weeks. You know, they wouldn't hold air anymore. I think if they'd been carbon, it would have been the same story. Um, just it depends where you are. But out, like for instance, in the UK, where I was living, it wasn't that rocky, wasn't that rough. Here, like yes, we get big rock rolls and stuff like that, and but it's not actually sharp, fast, high speed compressions. It tends to be, you know, more your more low speed compression. You know. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's really location-based as well. My last one was a Cannondale rear carbon rim on the scalpel during the field test that you guys saw. What about you, Brian? I'm try- I was trying to think about that. I think the only carbon rim I've ever broken was a, an, a, a white label one that I think we were considering branding at Rocky Mountain um as a rocky mm-hmm. mountain product i don't remember if that if we ever actually did or not it wasn't wasn't my department it was just a wheel kicking around um so hard to hard to point any fingers that one was a semi-justified one too i don't i don't think that an alloy rim would have fared much better i just want to say with carbon wheels on my xc bike right now i've had i i had the uh 
reserves on there and the Rovals, the both the super light 1300 gram whatever wheel sets i've had so many instances of oh god i've definitely nuked the wheel and then look and it's fine but brian why don't you get your 1300 gram wheel set add some inserts of 500 grams add some downhill tires for maybe mm-hmm. 1400 grams and then ride in complete security <laughs> Yeah, that sounds perfect. That defeats yeah. the purpose of the nice wheels, though. You want to put so- some nice 800-gram trail tires on there, no Ooh. inserts. Look how excited know? Levy's getting. And then walk yeah. out of the bush. You want to treat it right? Maybe get some get some candles. You got to talk nicely yeah. to your Simply setup. Red. And then you just you wear out your, your the carbon fiber soles on your shoes as you clip-clop down all the things. Yeah. But hey, here's a, here's a point. I would rather have nice hubs and just get a mid mid level rim. Mm-hmm. What? Then I'm. Do you know what pisses me off no end? The amount of wheels that I get that I ride them for a month and I cannot get play. They cannot hold preload properly. Mm-hmm. That I is, don't. I do not have that problem. I don't either. Yeah, because you have. What really hubs do you have that are falling apart? Any anything OE. Anything really? OE. Yeah. I the expensive hubs are crazy to me. Like just get yourself like no, I'm, whatever. I'm not saying expensive. I'm saying just. Entry level DT, you know, yeah. that sort of, yeah. but uh, OE hubs, all that sort of thing. And then people then, oh, I've cracked a rim. So I'm going to buy a nice rim to put on this piece of crap hub that basically is just more side to side play than you could. Oh, terrible. I, I will say that that's actually a, a thing a lot of product managers are guilty of where they take a carbon, carbon rim and a white labeled carbon rim and slap it on an absolute shit hub and go, it's got carbon wheels. Therefore thousand dollar upcharge on the on the msrp in that in the field test that gt the one that we had had um had decent like a sram rear a sram rear hub but the lower ones came with the basic formula hubs and it's the same thing specialized do and honestly you just your your head mike your head is shaking violently on screen it's making me very uncomfortable yeah, because I think you're crazy. Buy and get yourself a nice rim because that's what matters, and put some shitty hub in the middle and go for a bike ride. Don't, and then when no, you break the rim, no, lace no, your new no, rim up to no. it. Mike, are you trying to upset me? Why would why? Yes, why, yes, why, I am. Why? It's just your aluminum absolutely <laughs> stupid. It it comes down to do you think a, wear, a rim is a wear item or not? It definitely is. Yeah, bikes are wear items. So yeah, so then invest should, in the hub. Should then invest in the hub. Hey guys, I'm just wondering if you heard about that little crank failure at the Huck to Flat. It went mostly unnoticed. <laughs> Anyways, so that was a wild thing to happen while we were filming in super mega slow-mo with the Phantom camera. But in the real world, have you guys ever broken a carbon crank arm? Kaz, have you ever broken a carbon fiber crank? No, luckily I have not. I've seen them break and it was not a good thing to see, but I have not broken any myself. Henry? No, not so far. Not so far. Mm-hmm. Brian? Uh, just like the failures on, on um, I've seen a lot of those failures on threads and stuff, but no actual failures. Yeah. No actual like catastrophic failures. Yeah, me neither. Do you guys, would you guys agree that maybe carbon fiber isn't the ideal material for a crank arm? Yes. I mean, can we just imagine <laughs> imagine if there was a company right that made reasonably priced lightweight alloy cranks that were available in oe builds maybe a japanese company maybe who has a strong tradition doing lots of other things well um imagine that maybe something like xt or slx they could call them just off the top of my head why would you ever need carbon cranks why i mean because like, you could save a ton of weight ton, how much weight maybe Hold on. How much weight do you think you say? Maybe a ton. A ton's actually it, a it unit. It depends what you're it's going. Not, it depends what you're going from. If you're going from like a, a GX set of crank arms to like a nice light aluminum or a nice light carbon set of crank arms. No, let's I do mean, apples to apples. Let's do XTR to carbon, the carbon equivalent, because we got XTR to SRAM. Well, if we're going to do XTR, then let's do a really light set of carbon cranks. No, no, do the SRAM equivalent. Mm, I don't think the SRAM equivalent is that much lighter than XTR. That's right. That's right. I know it's it a little bit lighter. lighter. It's like... But that's... <laughs> it is It is lighter. But if... Why not say, well, let's pick a crank where we could save like a quarter pound or right. even okay, more maybe, depending on how much that, you want to spend. Right. But if you choose the world, like a super light carbon crank, then you can choose a, a set of E-wings titanium yeah. titanium alloy cranks 
and then and they're 400 grams so then you're you're within 30 or 40 grams of of the carbon ones yeah i have ewings too i like like exactly 30 or 40 grams heavier it's 30 or 40 grams on at the lowest part of my bike that's i'm happy with that yeah no i get it i get it so you're you're saying it's not worth the weight savings basically no, no i don't put car- i don't want to put carbon xx1 oh there we go thank you <laughs> no I, I don't want to put carbon anywhere where it's going to get beat up i'm not scared like i, I haven't had issues yeah i don't think it's the best material to be used down there but uh i'm also not scared either but just because i haven't had any bad experiences and the huck to flat video in super slow motion wasn't enough to scare me so i'm still gonna run carbon cranks kaz yeah, I'm the same. Like, I'm not afraid of them. I, I, I keep an eye on them, I guess. If I smack something super hard, I might worry a little bit and like check out the crank. But overall, like we've said before, though, it depends where you live. Like, if I lived in Sedona or maybe, like, Phoenix or was, like, super rocky. But around here, it's more roots compared to, like, sharp, jagged rock. So I, I'm comfortable running them around here. Yeah. But I also have nothing against Henry, aluminum. Like, are you still going to run? Um, I would happily, if, if a bike came with carbon cranks, I'm not going to swap them out. But mm-hmm. I would never, ever, ever choose carbon over alloy for like my, my money also it only costs three times as much and 10 times as likely to break or oh, where do i sign no way levy and kaz are just such smooth paddlers on the climbs they never have rock strikes well, i'm the opposite of that i'm like a man trapped in a pilates machine just limbs flailing everywhere so i need i need all the assurance i can get i don't use those boots kaz save weight no, I don't either. But I will say, I, I, I got to change my answer a little I bit. I don't use them. <laughs> I don't either. But uh, one place where carbon cranks don't belong are on e-bikes, which is where they broke in the field test. Like e-bikes yeah. are definitely going to be smashing. And like, who cares about seven grams or whatever on an e-bike that has a motor? Like that's a really silly place to save any weight. And those should all be aluminum. Agreed. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Brian, you had some stuff to say about the Huck to Flat, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, it's so weird that we've broken things on the Huck to Flat more than once it's it's a silly little way to show the suspension of each bike originally and like oh cool it's fun to watch things flex around but honestly it's i would expect every featherweight cross-country bike to just like shrug off that little impact so yeah i'm freaked out that how, how high is that lip it's like less than two feet isn't it two feet it's it's yeah. nothing um yeah you know i i think there's three possibilities for for that failure the first one they talked about was it damaged before from a rock strike that that's possible um doesn't i don't think it excuses the result and i think kaz is right about there's no place on a e-mount bike for for the 10 grams extra it would have been to have an alloy crank um the second possible i was impressed that praxis said that it could have been a, a manufacturing flaw uh, you don't see a lot of companies acknowledge that sometimes things go wrong um the final possibility, though, is like one they didn't say, um, but it could just be a design flaw. You, you can find lots of broken Praxis cranks if you look around online, like carbon cranks that kind of look like they broke in the same way. But Levy, you actually, you know, you're the voice of reason. You pointed out that um, there are lots of pictures of every product failing out there. So my assumption wasn't fair. And, you know, the design's pretty normal. They're not scary light. I, Yeah, if I gun to my head, I think I think there was probably some rock strikes beforehand so yeah just don't don't spec carbon cranks on anything other than really light xc bikes does that mean that in the future when we review enduro bikes and they have carbon cranks are we gonna point that out as a flaw i'm not going to it's if that not carbon crank has think. a history of failing i'm not failure. how do you know it has a risk of failure? Yeah, i think it's more of you just could say that about carbon frame it's more of just like a spec thing oh we'll get i there. think it's fine no, i don't i'm not yeah. I think it's fine too. I'm just, it's a personal spec decision and I don't, but I think it's great to criticize the spec on, on e-bikes with a carbon crank. Is that fair? Yeah, that seems fair. Yeah. Cause yeah. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So e-bikes don't put carbon cranks on your e-bikes, but put carbon cranks on all your other bikes. That's what Casmer and I think anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That seems fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> Brian yeah. says don't. Let's, no. let's talk about frames because of all the places you can use carbon fiber. It seems to me like the biggest advantage would be to use it to make a frame. You can save the most weight, possibly have the biggest effect on how the bike performs, how it rides. And hypothetically, the manufacturer does have the ability to make that carbon frame stronger than an aluminum frame in some ways. But one of those ways, Brian, is not rock strikes. (laughs) 
So we've seen a ton of carbon frames with holes in them from pointy rocks. Uh, and we've also seen carbon frames just layered up with all this armor, plastic, rubber stuff glued to it. Brian, it's almost like carbon frames aren't good for mountain biking, it looks like. like No, that's totally unfair. I, I really like carbon frames, um, despite not owning one right now. Um, I think the biggest advantage for carbon frames don't get talked about that much, and, and that's that they come out of the molds right. Um, it, it always kills me to see people choose one aluminum bike over another because the head the head angle is like, oh, this one's half a degree slacker than that one, so I'm going with the, with the slacker one. Explain? Can you explain this one for me? Why yeah. the, the, the welded frames might not be correct geometry-wise compared to the carbon frames? Because it, there's a lot more in the angles left to human error and there's a heat treat involved and bending things around, sorry, aligning things. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, um, it's not as exact as the catalog photos would make you think. And, um, yeah, bikes are made by people, right? And even carbon bikes, but the angles are a lot more set and the tolerances are a lot more set and, um, you can mess the layup up, but you're not going to mess up the the outer envelope of the carbon thing that you're making. So the angles end up being right. So that's nice. Um, and then, you know, there's less, a lot less bikes that don't pass QC out of carbon, like quality control. They don't, for that reason, it's like, oh, this one isn't out of alignment. No, we can just, so the costs are reduced. Once you factor in the real world costs, I don't think that carbon bikes are that much more expensive to produce. I don't have full faith in my numbers, but um, they're not they're not as much more as maybe we as an industry put carbon up on this pedestal of, well, we go from aluminum wheels to carbon wheels and it's it one grand. It does come free. from the aerospace industry though, so it should be pretty Oh, expensive. that's true. <laughs> Formula One. Formula One. <laughs> hey, yeah. Brian, you, you've seen behind the curtain more than more than a lot of other people thanks to your time at rocky mountain um carbon frames can you speak to some advantages that are present when it comes to manufacturing and how those might play out on the trail as well compared to an aluminum bike Uh, yeah i mean uh, to be clear like there are weight and stiffness advantages to carbon frames uh you can do a lot you can manipulate the shapes a lot more you have more freedom in the design of your bikes um the, obviously we, i said the angles end up being more accurate the the front and rear triangles end up being more aligned um and if you if you do it right you do get a insanely strong bike um there's no there's less fatigue over time like metal fatigues there are lots of good reasons to to design a bike out of carbon and to have it out of carbon um i do just i think that we should talk a bit about that they're also easier to make uh, and there's, so there's good reason for those brands to promote their stiffness and weight advantages. I just kind of wish that, or, well, actually, yeah, press fit bottom brackets is a great example. Um, they just, it's one of those things that it's easier and cheaper to make. So then brands choose them because they get to say it's also lighter and stiffer. It is lighter and stiffer, but that's mm-hmm. not why they chose it. You know, and I, sometimes I just wish people would come out and be like, take out an ad that was like, you know, we decided to make it out of carbon because it's easier for us, lighter for you. There's less bikes that don't pass QC, and also we can increase our margins. Like that'd be awesome. Just take that yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. Do you think in the carbon versus alloy environmental debate mm-hmm. that it's time for and, to, and and you can include e-bikes in this as well, but that it's sort of time for mountain bikers to understand that none of the none of us are helping the environment. Yeah. You know, mountain biking is inherent just because it's a bicycle. It's inside, and you might see some trees. It doesn't mean that it's not damaging to the environment. And it always does make me sort of blanch somewhat when people say, e-bikes, oh, they're terrible. My carbon mountain bike, on the other hand, it's, yeah, it's like, well done, you're, you're powering it, that's great. But it's better than not having a battery. But this idea that mountain biking is in any way helping the environment is is not is not true. Your e-bike will help the environment more if you take it, if you also ride it to the store once in a while. Like, it's all marginal, right? The... So you're regular, but getting off of our high horse of yeah, true. But you might not do it because you are want to take groceries home or whatever. That's the point is that none of our bikes are are actual. No, nothing you buy new is actually. You can't buy your way into a better future. Into you know into a better environmental future. 
Um, I do think that people who are crusaders for aluminum would go and look at a bauxite mine. Like they're not, they're not super nice. Mm. I just think it's like, I think it's for me, I'm not, you know, obviously like everyone, I don't, I'm not, what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to preface what I'm about to say with saying I'm not pro environmental change, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but, um, you know, it does always make me think, um, make me like i said a bit uneasy when people say oh my god thank god someone's making cnc alloy frames thank god and i just think maybe that we all need to just take a step back and really look at what we're up to here let's talk for a minute about where people should be using or maybe not using carbon frames in my mind carbon is a fine frame material for basically every use whether it's cross-country trail enduro downhill I don't have a problem with any of that, but from experience and from riding carbon bikes in really rocky places down in the Southwest in the US, I would also say that that to me would be a limiting factor in wanting a carbon frame. If I lived somewhere like Sedona or Moab, where the bike might go flying and hit some rocks, I don't know. I mean, maybe carbon wouldn't be ideal. Kaz, do you agree that that might be a factor? It it kind of depends. It also depends how much time your bike spends flying in the air. You know, like maybe if you're like a lot starting of time out, yeah, starting out learning to ride somewhere like you know in Phoenix or something, maybe a carbon bike might be a little bit more of a risky proposition for frame damage. But you know, it could be said anywhere. So yeah, it is sharp. If you live somewhere super sharp and super pointy, aluminum might do better. But you can still dent a frame and still be, be make it unsafe when it smashes right on a anvil shaped rock. So. um but yeah, I, I do agree that certain locations are not ideal for carbon bits. But I think it also comes down to, you know, how to put it, in the depending which application you're using it on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, it also comes down to basic, you know, what would you rather have? A carbon frame that perhaps is always good until it's not, or an alloy frame that's going to get dinged every time that it, not every time, but a lot of time when it hit, it hit has rock strikes. You know, I mean, I, some, I know sometimes, you know, with carbon, we don't X-ray things. You can run a coin across it and try and listen to dull spots, etc. But sometimes I've had knocks on carbon frames that I thought, if that was alloy, that would be an absolute monster. I read some of these comments, Henry, and people are waiting for like months and months for their warranty carbon frames or their crash replacement carbon frames, especially in the climate right now. And I think that would be a factor for me. That would happen to me precisely one time. If I had to wait months and months and months, months and months for a replacement carbon frame, warranty or not, my next frame would probably be aluminum if I lived in the desert and that was a thing that wasn't all that uncommon. Do you, do you think the lead times are less for alloy? No, it's normally? not that I think the lead times are less. It's just just reading the comments. It looks like tons of people are just waiting for their warranty carbon frames and i would argue that the aluminum frame is it is less likely to be damaged in that sort of in that sort of setting Hmm. yeah well i think it's different i think there's a difference between damage and failure Mm -hmm. i would argue damage enough to be replaced i would yeah but what i'm saying is that you know i've had big rock strikes that absolutely left a crater in the down tube of an alloy frame but probably maybe not even leave a mark on carbon you know Mm, yeah I think yeah. if a rock is leaving, if a rock is leaving there, a giant there some, dent, there are some. I've literally, I've, I've, I've rung up bike companies before and said, you know, a customer, whoever, has put a big, sizable, they've they maybe damaged underneath their uh, bottom bracket junction, and the company's literally been like, listen, we layered that thing like the Iron Curtain. If there's anything that's gone wrong, it's because of user error. You know what I mean? It's not like, yeah, oh, okay. I, I took a rock strike on the gravel trail. No, it's something's gone big there. I think. I would be more inclined, I would run a carbon frame for all the things, but if it were a enduro bike or a downhill bike, I think it would be a bike, yeah, me buying a downhill bike, I know, but um, I think it would be a, the type of bike that I would be turning over pretty pretty regularly, whereas I would ride an XC carbon bike until until it didn't work anymore. I want to read a comment to you guys. This is from Pink Bike user, I am... A model. He says, in 30 years of mountain bike, I've learned this. When aluminum fails, people blame the manufacturer. When carbon fails, people blame the material. Brian, there's definitely some truth to that, isn't there? I love that. Oh, I am a model. You are a model. That's amazing. Is there, is there maybe also a, is there also maybe a 
uh, statistical issue here where carbon failures happen because manufacturers choose carbon on bikes that are light. Like they're trying to make that bike light. And so they choose carbon and then light bikes break. And then people blame carbon rather than the fact that they bought a frame that was a pound and a half too light. Okay, I can also almost be. guarantee that's a huge factor. Yeah. Yeah. And there's another statistical thing, like say someone with a carbon bike or carbon components probably tends to be a more, uh, more than just your enthusiast rider. They probably tend to ride a lot. They've got income they're spending on. This is their sport. So they're riding hundreds and hundreds of days where your person with their aluminum entry level bike, they might just ride a bit. So like there's so many factors It could have, you could ex- extrapolate those poles more and be like, how many days did you ride before your carbon bits broke? You know, like, mm-hmm. How many? I think there's, there's so much more to dive in. Just being like, oh, carbon all breaks, all carbon breaks, and aluminum just bends, and that's how it is. And aluminum is the best, except that it's heavy and not the best. I think there's also a think about how price affects expectation. I think if you buy a real, if you bought a twenty-five dollar handlebar and it bent, it'd go, oh well, you might buy another twenty-five dollar handlebar. If you bought a two hundred dollar handlebar and it cracked or snapped, even though the failure is just as, you know. It means the products are dud. People are understandably annoyed and then they'll actually go through the warranty process where with the cheaper part, they might not have even bothered. And I think that the disappointment leads people to be more vocal, which then bleeds into Mm. the community. It bleeds into everyone having a carbon failure story. It bleeds into people commenting on articles and understandably they're pissed off, right? They spent a lot of money and this part hasn't done the thing that it's, it's been requested to do and that it says it can do. Then, But the disappointment just makes people a bit... So, well, we're a bit more vocal and a bit, have a kind of more of a dissentful voice. Kaz, are you in for carbon handlebars? And have you broken one before? I have not broken one. Um, I'm in for them. Yep. They're, yeah. I've had good okay. luck with Henry? them. Like, yeah, yeah I'd, I've got some carbon handlebars on. Have you broken one before? Have I broken any? No, 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 I haven't actually. Yeah. So I run carbon handlebars too. I've never broken them. I do keep an eye on them, but no issues there. Brian? carbon handlebar and have you ever broken one in the past yes to both um but the failure i'm pretty sure was my own fault well, i think i might have over torqued a clamp yeah. oh, oh. <laughs> so <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna wrap this podcast up by covering just rapid fire some other places where i've seen carbon fiber used in the past and i'm gonna ask the boys some questions here brake levers carbon fiber i mean that seems like something that's not needed at all. No one should ever pay more money to get carbon fiber brake levers. But one advantage is they don't get super cold on those wet, cold days like today, Kaz. Um, so I think that's one little thing that like people joke about carbon levers, but it is a nice little touch. Seat rails. Kaz, I've broken carbon seat rails. I'm sure you have too. I have not, no? but I don't, I don't run carbon Henry? seat rails. I try. And, there you go. <laughs> I don't know if you do this, Levy. I try and not sit down whilst descending. Um, I tend to... Yeah, so I usually... I'm just... I'm bump jumping a lot of the jumps yeah, and stuff. Otherwise, bounce. I'm just getting too much too much pop. So I yeah, seat right. bounce all these jumps. So no carbon seat rails for me. Okay, what about stems? We've seen Envy make a carbon stem. They used to even do a direct mount carbon stem. That is the worst, the worst ROI for weight yes. saving and stiffness <laughs> that you could have on your bike. Like a carbon stem is not the place to spend the money. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's They're a not no even small offshoot. It's a no. Do you know what annoys me? Bikes with geometry flip chips and then one piece carbon bar and stems. Like, <laughs> let's give us a yes. crap adjustment and get rid of the useful. <laughs> when, that, when that gambler came out last year, you can have any chainstay length you want, baby. Four different shock positions. <laughs> and Nino shirt has handlebar geometry. And if you don't like it, you can get XYZ. Like, absolute joke. That's ah. a really good point. I, I love those one-piece things. I think no, they look like the, from I, the future. I, I think they look great. And if you luck out and you find a shape you like, etc. But yeah. God, it just pisses me off. Like, yeah, just okay. the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's let's talk about suspension forks because that actually is a place where we see carbon used or used in the past. RockShocks, the previous SID, had carbon upper uh, steer tube and crown assembly. I've run a bunch of those without any issues. What about RS1 legs? That's a one-piece carbon assembly. Uh, Casimir Dorado upper legs as well, carbon fiber. I couldn't think of anything else. Suspension forks, carbon. Oh, what about uh, trust? Trust had the carbon trust steer. Trust linkage fork. 
My friend snapped his steerer. Oof. No, no, no. On his trust fork? On his trust fork, yeah. Wow. Mm, Don't want to give him any bad press, but I'm pretty sure it's not that important now. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, no, the company, how will they ever recover (laughs) from your bad press, Henry? (laughs) I know, right? Um, Megura brake purchase. I think they call those like plastic composite or whatever, but it's some sort of molded thing. Those things are super, super light. They use like self-tapping wood screws. Oh, the wood screws. I've never been a yeah. Jesus no. Christ. I don't like Not those. Not good. Yeah. Um, shoe soles. The outsoles, the bottom of shoes, carbon fiber, helmet reinforcements as well. We've seen that on some some helmets. Despite your failure, are you pro carbon shoe soles, Levy? Have I had a carbon shoe sole failure? You literally just told us about one at the start of this call. Oh, no, it wasn't carbon. Oh. That wasn't, no, I just, that was just, that was a normal shoe sole. And I just, my massively strong legs, I just pulled it right off. Well, you should have yeah. had carbon shoe soles. I should have. Yeah. <laughs> I usually do wear my little carbon dance slippers. You guys know that, but I wasn't yeah. that day. <laughs> it was for the value field test. So I didn't want to wear shoes that were more expensive than the bikes I was testing. <laughs> it's a good call. <laughs> yeah. Um, so humble. We've seen a flat carbon leaf spring on the motion fork, which is pretty neat. Hey guys, I've used carbon brake rotors before. Oh god. Remember that year we had carbon brake rotors and we had brakes full of water? <laughs> water brakes and carbon. Remember we had those water brakes? Oh yeah. Yeah, that was the same year. Yeah. Yeah. So um I had these carbon rotors, Brian, and they they said obviously don't use them with sintered pads. I think it was like only organic pads and and they were like ridiculously light, all the things and I mean, I've mentioned a ton of times that I'm a big motorsport fan. So when I see carbon rotors, I'm just like, wow, give me that. That's that's fucking cool. It wasn't cool. They didn't work at all. They didn't blow up, but I had, you know, when you grab a brake lever, you know, a brake is really low powered, Kaz, when you grab a brake lever and you pull it even harder and the stopping power doesn't go up, like you've reached a point and that's it. No stopping power. So I, those lasted one ride and I took them off. And then, yeah, I had those water-filled brakes. Those are, that's another story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, chain rings. We've seen carbon chain rings with titanium teeth bonded on the top. I'd love some of those. That'd be cool. And we've also seen carbon spokes, both bladed spokes, like on old spinnergy wheels and carbon string spokes on... Uh, I don't know what they were called. Those wheels that Dan Sapp reviewed those recently. What those were those? Aren't car- those aren't carbon. I think probably the nope. better analogy. Like Kevlar, is- isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. whatever. It's the, well, you should be talking Same. about the, the Synchros ones. The Synchros wheels are carbon spoke. Oh, yeah. Also, the Synchros yeah. wheels, those are one-piece carbon spoke rim and hubs. Those are really freaking cool. Anyways, um, tell us in the comments, have we missed anything? carbon fiber what are you guys using for carbon fiber tell us your carbon fiber horror stories uh tell us where we're wrong and let's wrap this podcast up with comment gold this one is from a story about victor koretsky signing with a road team well maybe also still being sponsored by his current mountain bike sponsor which is kmc or bea so koretsky's on the rise he got a second overall in the world cup series this year he had some wins blah 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 all the things anyways in that article Someone said, Maddie Mo 123 said, that's fascinating. I wonder who is Koretsky in this case. Hey-o. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's it for the t- I'm going to outro and close this podcast. <laughs> All right. That is it for number 83. Like I said before, let us know in the comments your stories with carbon fiber, your good stories, your horror stories. And next week, we're talking all things value-minded. So we'll see you then. <laughs>